presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Brought to you by Williams Audio. And here are your hosts, John Joseph Adams and David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Hi, this is John Joseph Adams. Uh, I'm the editor of uh, Lightspeed and Fantasy Magazines, and I've also edited several anthologies such as The Living Dead and The Living Dead 2, and uh, Wastelands and some others. And I'm David Barr-Kirtley. Uh, my short fiction appears in books such as New Voices in Science Fiction and Fantasy the Best of the Year. And my most recent stories are Cats and Victory in Lightspeed, The Skullface City in The Living Dead 2, and Family Tree in The Way of the Wizard. And today on the show, we'll be interviewing Robert Kirkman, uh, who wrote the graphic novel series The Walking Dead, which is now a new hit series on AMC. And AMC just announced that they picked up the show for a second, se- a second season of 13 episodes. According to their press release, since debuting on Halloween, The Walking Dead has broken ratings records with the series reaching more adults 18 to 49 than any other show in the history of cable television. So we'll be talking to Robert Kirkman about his various graphic novel projects and about the new show and uh, stick around after the interview. John and I'll be talking about some zombie stuff that we've watched recently, including the Walking Dead TV series. And actually, if you enjoy this episode and you haven't gotten enough zombie talk after listening to the whole episode, um, you know, we're going to be resyndicating all of our old episodes that originally aired at Tor.com here on io9 um, starting next week. And so the first episode um, that we aired on Tor.com was uh, an interview with Chet Falasek, who's the lead game designer on uh, Left 4 Dead. And uh, so that whole episode is about zombies and the apocalypse and whatnot. So, you know, if you enjoy this episode and you want more, you can go listen to that one and uh, that'll be up next week. And, um, you know, keep in mind that it's, uh, you know, it's not quite as polished. It was our first episode. It was our first attempt at a podcast. Uh, But uh, Dave re-edited it. And so it's like the director's cut. So even if you did listen to it, you should listen to it again next week. Okay, so let's get Robert Kirkman on the phone. Hello. Hi, this is Dave and John from Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Hey, it's Robert Kirkman. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us on the show. Okay, um, so The Walking Dead puts, a, puts just as much emphasis on survival as it does on battling zombies. Uh, why did you decide to focus so much on the survival aspect? I guess at my at, at my core, I'm, I'm just a big girl that likes soap operas. So, uh, you know, the real things that I enjoy, the, the you know, the parts of the comic that I, I really kind of, uh, you know, uh, really like uh, uh, writing are the, uh, the you know the emotional bits the uh, the relationship stuff the uh, you know the interaction between Rick and Carl and, and uh, you know all that stuff and and you know those zombies are really just to trick dudes into uh, into into reading it is, is basically uh, what it boils down to. Could you talk about like how much how much thought do you put into just the survival like do you study survivalism or anything like that? Uh, no, I have no no studies in survivalism. I, I Google enough to make it somehow seem realistic uh, when I, you know, have to have someone dress a wound or if there's uh, anything uh, uh, going on. Uh, one of the things I most like to do in the book is uh, make things up in a way that seems realistic. There's a, uh, in particular, there's one scene where a guy dresses a wound and I had friends that were like, wow, look at you, like, uh, doing your research. That's amazing. But uh, I really made up half of what the guy does just because I thought it seemed realistic and seemed cool. Because uh, most of the times when I do research, I end up with things that aren't, uh, that aren't really exciting. Like, oh, that's a really simple way to do that. Like, oh, you clean a wound by washing it out with water. <laughs> that's, uh, that's dull. So, uh, I did something with tea leaves and wax and I got a, uh, I got a letter in from a guy that said, uh, that would actually, uh, uh, cause his leg to get infected and he would <laughs> amputate it. Uh, but it seems like a like a nice realistic thing when you're reading the comic, and then to uh, to counteract how fake it is, I just don't print that guy's letter. <laughs> so, that's how I do that. So it's important that people shouldn't use The Walking Dead as a reference uh, for uh, medical school or or whatever. Oh please, Lord, don't anyone <laughs> do anything from this comic book thinking that it actually works. So uh, so that's not yeah. Please don't. I, I don't want to be responsible for somebody getting their leg cut off <laughs> again. <laughs> Uh, okay, so The Walking Dead, it's very convincing in the way that it portrays the strained emotions of the characters. Um, do you have any tricks for putting yourself inside their heads, and did you do any research into that, into disaster psychology or anything like that? Well, I mean, I know a lot of troubled people, so that helps. <laughs> uh, 
But, uh, you know, a lot of times it's just thinking about what I would do in that situation and doing the opposite or thinking about what I would do in that situation if I were a crazy person. Uh, I mean, I use myself a lot as a uh, frame of reference, but I don't always, you know, if I if I always just kind of put myself in that situation and did what I would do, uh, everyone would behave the same way. So it's really just a matter of, uh, you know, changing things up as, as best you can and, and trying to keep things uh, believable. And then, you know, the other thing I do is I try to, uh, I try to map out how characters react to certain things and how their reactions are going to change over time based on other things they've experienced. So you'll see a character like Glenn react a certain way in the early issues, but as he has gone through those experiences and, and has learned over time, his reactions will vary uh, later on in the series. Uh, so a prison seems like a natural setting for a zombie story, but The Walking Dead was, I think, the first time I'd ever seen that done. Uh, How did you get the idea to have your characters take refuge in a prison, and what sort of benefits or drawbacks were there to using that as a setting? You know, it kind of came out of the blue. It wasn't really like a hard... Uh, you know, study that I that I put in to decide whether it was going to be a prison or a, it was originally going to be a high school because the high school I attended uh, uh, had a uh, courtyard in the center of it. It was it was a building basically shaped like an O, and uh, I, I was going to base the high school in the comic book based on you know I was going to base it on that because you know the courtyard would be a place where they could actually you know, you know grow food and have like a little outside area that was completely protected. Uh, and then it occurred to me that uh, high schools don't really have beds, and you were basically like, you know, I was, you know, as I was writing, I was like, oh, you know, they'll go in and they'll take the principal's couch, and then when they going to fight over that, they're all going to be sleeping on the floor. This is awful, you know. There's, there's, you know, there's like one room with showers in the gym, but that's not good. Uh, and then it occurred to me that uh, prisons and high schools uh, are, are pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> for uh, you're supposed to sleep in a in a prison. So uh, that seems like a more ideal thing for this story. They would have more things to actually live off of inside the prison, and it would be, you know, already uh, uh, well fortified. So uh, it seems like a natural fit. It is kind of odd to think that, you know, they haven't really set a story like this in a prison before. Have you spent a lot of time in prison yourself? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't really like to talk about that period <laughs> in my life, but uh, but yes. No, I've never, I've never even set foot in a prison. Or most, that's why the prison is completely 100% inaccurate and made up. <laughs> oh, how did the Walking Dead TV show come about, and what was the development process like? It's funny because the development process was uh, very long and drawn out, and very quick at the same time. Because there was kind of a false start where Frank Darabont uh, contacted me uh, because he had a deal with NBC and wanted to do a pilot and was going to make that pilot The Walking Dead, and it almost actually happened at NBC in 2005. But uh, that fell through because NBC decided they didn't want zombies to be in the show uh, after the <laughs> script, which is a funny story that he likes to tell, so I feel uh, I feel okay to, in telling it. But, uh, you know, it, it kind of went into limbo after that, and... Uh, you know, there was some interest here and there, but nothing ever really came together. And then about 18 months ago, uh, Frank contacted me again and said, what do you think about AMC? And I said, well, you know, I love me some Breaking Bad and some uh, uh, Mad Men. So, uh, you know, I, I'm quite keen on AMC. And he was telling me that they were interested. And uh, Gail Ann Hurd had been brought in uh, somewhere along the way. And, and she kind of... Uh, you know, got everything back on track and, and brought AMC to the table and, and made it happen. And so uh, 18 months ago, we, we started out on this, and, and now there's a show that's going to be on air in a week. So uh, it was really kind of a, a unusually fast process from that point on. Uh, so how how involved have you been in the, in the production? Uh, you know, fairly involved. I've gone out to the writer's room a few times and spent, you know, a week here and a week there working with them. And then uh, uh, I actually wrote the fourth episode. So, uh, so you know, fairly involved. I mean, I'm an executive producer. I could I could fire Frank Darabont if I wanted to. Um, I couldn't really, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I could. I should call someone at AMC. I don't know. But uh, uh, you know, I've been on set a bunch. Uh, you know, I, I was there. I was making sure. I mean, my job to me uh, is to make sure that the show is awesome. Just because I feel like the people that read the comic book and and like the comic book uh, uh, deserve the, the television show to not suck hmm. and so i always wanted to have a hand in it just to make sure that everything was good for them just because uh you know i feel like i owe them and uh thankfully i haven't really had to do much because frank and everybody involved uh they, they were also out to do an awesome show and their version of awesome is the same version as, as mine and uh, and the show turned out to be pretty great 
Um, so what kind of changes should fans of the comic be expecting to see on the show? Well, uh, Rick is a duck. <laughs> uh, and, and they all live in a spaceship. Uh, no, I, you know, there's, there's some cool characters that I kind of wish were in the comic book. Uh, Merle and, and Daryl Dixon are, uh, are pretty awesome and they're, they're wholly original to the television series. And there's, uh, other characters like T-Dog and Morales and Jackie that you're not going to recognize from the comic because they're not in it. But they're, you know, welcome additions and, and they, they bring a lot to the show and, and there's cool stuff going on and there's little storylines here and there that, uh, you know, kind of crop up and, and, and aren't from the comic book, but they fit seamlessly into, uh, you know, what the comic book has always been about. And if you have a poor memory, you may not remember that they are not in the comic book and, and so they don't really stick out in that respect. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that Frank did that I'm just jealous of where he would, uh, take a scene and add to it where he would like read the comic book and go, well, you know what, Kirkman, that was a cool couple of pages, but, uh, I'm going to do this with it. And it's so obvious and awesome. Like I look back and I'm like, why didn't I do that to begin with? Like what the hell is wrong with me? So, you know, there, there's a lot of things like that that just kind of piss me off. So I'm a little bitter about the show. <laughs> Uh, so one recent issue of The Walking Dead featured a color story by Ryan Otley. How did that come about? <laughs> well, one of the most frustrating things about The Walking Dead series is that since day one, when I wrote a text piece in the back of the first issue about how, you know, I planned for this series to go on for years and I didn't, you know, it was the zombie movie that never ends and yada, 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 I started getting letters from people that would say, well, you know, the third issue is pretty good, and, and I like these three issues, but I just don't see how you're going to get this to be interesting for a year. Or, uh, you know, I like when issue 10 would come out, it'd be like, you know, it's been pretty good for 10 issues, but I don't see how you're going to keep this story interesting, because it just seems like this is going to become repetitive and, and mundane, and, and, you know, you're not going to be able to keep this thing going. Uh, it seems like you're going to run out of ideas. And so uh, I would start jokingly replying that, uh, you know, I'm fully aware that I'm going to run out of ideas. I'm clocking that I will probably run out of ideas by around issue 75. And at that point, I'm not going to stop the book because I'm a sellout. I'm just going to add aliens into the <laughs> book to uh, to make it more interesting. And uh, that'll be my jumping the shark moment. And the book will be, you know, swiftly canceled after that. But for a time, there will be aliens in the book. And it was all a big joke. And at the time, you know, issue 3, issue 10, issue 12, uh, issue 75 seemed really far away. And it seemed like, you know, I may never make it to that. I mean, we'll see. Who knows? Uh, and so when it came time, and it was something that came up in the letters column a lot. Like, people would respond and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to read this book until issue 75 when the aliens come. And, <laughs> uh, and so... Uh, I feel like, you know, the, the hardcore fans, the people that actually read the letters column, you know, were very acutely aware that issue 75 was coming, and I didn't want to just not do anything. But I wasn't actually going to put aliens in the book, and so I thought it would be fun to do an out-of-continuity backup story that was kind of a fun gag that uh, played off of the aliens in issue 75 joke that had been running through the letters column for, you know, nearly 75 issues. And... uh you know, much to my dismay, uh, some fans thought that it was incontinuity. And so I got some letters from people who had never read the letters column, uh, who hadn't even read the letters column in that issue, where it talks about how the story is just a gag, who thought that uh, I had somehow decided that the book was in color now, and drawn by Ryan Otley now, and featured aliens and science fiction weaponry <laughs> and stuff. I don't know, there wasn't that many people that, that thought that, so I think most people just thought it was a funny gag. <laughs> but uh, I, sure, I sure had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, you know, it's kind of fun to write the characters in a different way, and, uh, you know, seeing Michonne with a lightsaber is pretty awesome. <laughs> so it was recently announced that you'll be doing some Walking Dead novels co-written with novelist Jay Bunnensinga. Uh, what can you tell us about those? Uh, the novels will basically be uh, some expanded uh, backstory for the comic book series. So they'll take place in the comic book continuity. And uh, I don't really want to say who the first one is about just yet, but uh, it's basically uh, really awesome characters from the comic book series that aren't in the comic book series anymore. So it's people that have, uh, well, they've died. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's like fan favorites that, that – you know, people kind of want to know more about. And so we're going to be telling kind of a, a really cool history of this character and how they came to uh, the point where they were at when we met them in the comic book series. Uh, so in recent years, all sorts of new variations on zombies have appeared. Fast zombies, zombie romance, zombie superheroes. Uh, what's been your take on all of this? 
Uh, you know, the more the better. I, I actually like it. Uh, uh, you know, zombie superheroes, I guess that was kind of a part of that. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I'm all for it. Zombie romance sounds a little gross. But, uh, you know, I, I like zombies and as long as it's good, you know, I don't, I don't care if there's a zombie cooking show as long as it's entertaining. I'm not, uh, I'm certainly not a zombie purist that, uh, you know, can't stand running zombies. Uh, they're not right for The Walking Dead. I mean, that's not what that show or the comic book is about. But, you know, I really like the Dawn of the Dead remake. It's a really cool movie and the fast zombies don't really bug me. It's ridiculous that they're busting through walls and stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it works for that movie. And so, uh, you know, I don't really have a problem with it. I, I, you know, it's better than vampires, right? <laughs> so, so do you think that the zombies, as we've seen them in The Walking Dead, is that the the, the sort of Romero style zombies? Is that what um, Walking Dead is always going to be, or will there ever be any kind of other supernatural sort of elements introduced further down the road? Do you think? No supernatural elements. I mean. I swear. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, while I do think zombies of different variations are, you know, very cool, uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, they're cool for The Walking Dead. So the classic Romero zombies that we have now are not going to change very much. Now, we see in the comic book series that uh, there are different things that happen to a zombie over time. You know, in the comic book series, they've encountered some that have grown a little bit more lethargic and aren't quite as threatening uh, as as fresher zombies. But uh, anything, you know, they're not going to be sprouting wings anytime soon, basically. <laughs> Although that is a pretty good idea. <laughs> um, so your short story, Alone Together, appears in my anthology, The Living Dead 2. Um, what was the process oh, of... Oh, we've got to plug your anthology. <laughs> blah, blah. <laughs> um, yes, we do. Um, so... <laughs> What what was the process writing that story like, and and how is writing a short story different from writing uh writing a comic book? And don't worry, we only have ten questions on this subject, so. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, very good anthology. Everyone should run out and buy it. It's the one with the blue cover. Uh, it's funny. I was actually in a bookstore waiting in line, and someone uh, in another line across from the register uh, was actually buying that book. And I thought that was really cool. I, I didn't say anything to them because I'm actually quite shy. But uh, anyway, um, it's very different because when I'm writing a comic book, I can go, hey, Charlie, uh, do something cool. They're saying this. And he turns it into an awesome panel and people read it and they think, oh, that Robert Kirkman guy is a great writer because he you know, told Charlie to draw something cool. Like, I didn't, do, I didn't really do crap. <laughs> So, you know, comic writing is, is much easier. And then when you sit down to write prose, uh, it's funny, that's actually the first prose I've written since high school, just because, uh, I've been busy, damn it. But, uh, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's work. It's hard, you know, cause you have to like take words and actually make them, uh, read well, I guess. So, uh, there, there's a re- there's a reason Jay Bond and Singer is, uh, working <laughs> on the Walking Dead novels with me. I, I think it's a pain in the ass. But uh, I had a lot of fun with it, and it's a good story. People should buy those books, right? It's a good story, right? I agree. No, it's great. Well, hey, you know, I put it first in the book, so obviously I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> um. So okay. So how did you first? Uh, how did you first break into writing comic books? I did a comic book, and I published it myself. Yeah, I, I uh, was lucky enough to meet Tony Moore in uh, seventh grade, and so I knew that guy and uh, was able to trick him into drawing comic books for me at a very young age. So shortly after high school, the two of us uh, started working on a book called Battle Pope. And then uh, from that, uh, I started a publishing company called Funkatron, and uh, I published that uh, starting in June of 2000, and then uh, did that book for about two years before I started getting work at Image Comics, and uh, the rest is history. Uh, so, I mean, how difficult was it doing that, um, like, you know, publishing your own comic book and starting from the ground up? You know, in a lot of ways it was easy, just because there's not a lot of moving parts. Uh, in comics, there's, you know, one distributor that distributes to all the comic book stores in the country, and there was a printer that was in Canada that most people used. And so I would, you know, work with Tony Moore to make the comic book. We would send that to Canada. And then that would be sent from the printer in Canada to the one distributor, and then it would go to comic book stores. So, you know, once you get that system down, it's really a fairly easy process. But, you know, there's a lot of troublesome financing stuff that came into it. And then, 
the actual production of a comic book is not something that uh, people just know off the top of their head. You know, what kind of paper to draw your pages on and how you make the word balloons and, uh, you know, different things that have to be done in order to uh, turn a bunch of pieces of paper into a comic book or things that I kind of had to teach myself. Uh, but, you know, it was a lot of fun and, uh, you know, it seemed to lead to something. But uh, it, it was very... Uh, it's a very, very hard time in my life. I know that uh, by the time I actually started making money in comics, I was about $50,000 in debt. And uh, by making money in comics, I mean I started making about $500 a year. Mm. So uh, uh, there were there were some tough times along the way. But in the end, it all worked out, you know, swimmingly. I couldn't be happier. What would you, uh, what advice would you have for aspiring comic book artists and writers uh, today? Give up. <laughs> uh, no, I mean... Uh, one thing that is much more prominent now than it was when I was starting out is the internet. So people these days could do exactly what I did. And instead of, you know, losing money by getting it all printed up and distributed and stuff, they could actually just put it online. And that's, you know, mostly free if you teach yourself how to do it. And, uh, you know, spread the word through a message board that your website is there. And I mean, that's really the way I would uh, recommend it. It's also easier if you're better. The better you are, the easier it is to break in, which I know sounds simple, but it's really hard to recognize if you're not good. Uh, if you can recognize that you're not good, that's really important, because if you're not good, you can either give up or get better. And, uh, you know, if you think you're great, you're probably not going to get better, and then it's never going to happen, unless you actually are great, and then it's going to be easy. You'll probably have to play that back a couple times to get it, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so what do you think about the current state of the comic book industry, and are there any changes you'd like to see made? Uh, well, uh, you know, sure, there's tons of changes. Um, on one, you know, and I, I like it. I think it's, uh, you know, it's cool. There's, there's good comics being made, and everybody's having a good time. Uh, you know, on the other hand, it, it frustrates me that most people, uh, uh, it's it's hard to do creator-owned material. I, I, I understand that, but I wish that people were taking more risks with comics and, and, and doing more creator-owned stuff and not simply just working for Marvel and DC. I mean, that's a main frustration that I have. Also, I wish that, uh, you know, I wish that the books at Marvel and DC were better, but, uh, you know, whatever. There's, there's a lot of good books coming out from them, so I, I don't really, uh, I should, probably shouldn't really complain about that. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that could be, uh, you know, that you could complain about. But I'm, I'm actually really optimistic just because as we move into the digital era, I think that, uh, you know, the problems that we've had with distribution and getting books out to a larger audience are, are gonna go away. And, uh, you know, as we start to reach a larger audience, we're not going to be, selling comic books to the same people we've been selling comic books to for, you know, the last 20 years. And so we're not going to be trying to sell original material to an audience that's predisposed to, uh, you know, keeping their runs of, you know, Daredevil intact. And so, you know, hopefully we'll be finding people that are uh, more open to create our own stuff and new ideas. And, and that'll make for a better comic book industry because, you know, people will be, uh, you know, doing uh, more original stuff. And I think more original stuff is uh, really what we need. And you've talked particularly about the comic book industry not doing enough to appeal to younger uh, readers? Yeah, I mean, that's another thing with, uh, you know, mainstream comics uh, catering to a fan base that is aging. They have, uh, you know, kind of lost a younger audience. And so I wish that, uh, you know, more people were doing books for a younger audience. And I'm, I'm happy to say that, uh, you know, I am working on uh, a number of books that are uh, for all ages and, and I'll be rolling out soon. Uh, so I'm going to try and, uh, you know, fix that problem instead of just complaining about it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad that, uh, if someone, you know, my son, for instance, if he were to, uh, see a Wolverine cartoon and want to read a Wolverine comic, that's, uh, that's a very hard thing for him to do. You know, the trade paperbacks in bookstores are, are kind of a convoluted mess. It's not like Mango where you can go, hey, here's volume one and here's volume 37. If you go to buy Wolverine, there's, you know, 35 different trades with different names and, you know, it's hard to figure out where to begin. I just wish that things were, you know, set up more for a wider audience and, and appeal to a wider audience more. Well, yeah, could you talk about some of the books that you've worked on besides The Walking Dead, uh, and which of them would you most recommend to readers who are new to your work? Uh, well, I do another book called Invincible, 
which is a, uh, a superhero title. It's kind of everything I've ever liked about superhero comics, uh, kind of boiled down and put into uh, one comic book. It's a, a universe-spanning superhero tale that you can get in, uh, you know, pretty much one series. Uh, it's also been running as long as The Walking Dead, so it's, uh, you know, rapidly approaching issue 80. Uh, so that's kind of cool. And there's, you know, trade paperbacks uh, available and stuff. The uh, the premise is that uh, Omni-Man is the premier superhero of the world, and uh, Invincible is his son, who has just reached puberty and gotten superpowers. And uh, Omni-Man, uh, you know, his son thought that he was this alien from another planet that came to help Earth, but it turns out he is there to conquer Earth. And uh, Invincible and he are at odds. And so uh, he ends up having to fight his father, and uh, you know, and that happens very early on in the run. So there's a lot more, uh, a lot more story that happens after that. And then I do another book called uh, The Astounding Wolfman, that is about a uh, werewolf superhero that uh, has recently uh, come to an end. I, I decided to end that with uh, issue 25, so that I could uh, focus on uh, some newer projects. And uh, you know, I think there will be four trade paperbacks available for that. It's a book I do with Jason Howard cool. Uh, I co-created another book with uh, Todd McFarlane called Haunt. That is uh, kind of a uh, espionage book with a supernatural uh, ghost element added in. It's about a secret agent who dies and then uh, his brother who is a priest is able to see him and interact with him as a ghost and uh, together they're able to form uh, you know, a, a super secret agent that's got uh, ghost powers called Haunt. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> People should try. Uh, so are there any other recent or upcoming projects that you'd like to mention? I have a, a, a new imprint at Image Comics called Skybound, uh, which is basically my corner of Image Comics where I get to do whatever I want and uh, you know, kind of bring new books into the fold and, and shepherd them out into the audience. And uh, one of the first books that we're doing under that imprint is called Witch Doctor, which I'm very excited about. It's uh, about a... Uh, a scientist who basically uses uh, scientific theory and, and, and medical know-how to uh, combat uh, supernatural things, uh, werewolves, vampires, uh, monsters from other dimensions, uh, with science. And so it's a very realistic take on a supernatural story. And uh, that's written by a, a new writer by the name of uh, Brandon Seifert and uh, uh, an artist named uh, Lucas uh, Kettner who uh, are doing this thing, and uh, it's probably one of the smartest comic books I've ever read, and uh, that'll be coming out uh, probably, uh, I want to say March or April of 2011. We're still trying to nail down those dates. But yeah, I think it's going to turn a lot of heads, and uh, it's definitely a unique uh, story. It's kind of it's got horror elements, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a realistic take on that stuff, which I think is really cool. Great. Okay, so John, uh, was there anything else you wanted to ask? Um... No, I don't know. Nothing it's really comes to mind. Dead. It's called yeah. Living Dead Two. Right. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna <laughs> say, like, you know, yeah, can we talk some more about how awesome the Living Dead Two is? Um, it's 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 absolutely amazing. <laughs> um, Great book. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, I don't know if you're just jokingly saying that to appease my ego or if you really mean it. But thanks anyway. No, I wouldn't um, have agreed to. I wouldn't have agreed to <laughs> it if I didn't like the first one. And, and sure, sure. You know, I almost think the second one is better, but not because my story is in there. Right, right. I swear. Well, I'm, it's nice of you to say. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you think so. Um, I mean, actually, a lot of uh, a lot of people have also mentioned that, and I'm I'm like hugely flattered to hear that, just because the Living Dead, you know, collected so much of like the classic stuff that you know, uh, bringing in all this newer stuff uh, was it was quite a challenge to follow that up. But um, well, anytime I can read a new zombie story written by Bob Fingerman, I'm hmm. totally on board. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Well, I'm sure he'll be thrilled to hear that. Um, so. Um, Actually, I mean, one thing that really struck me, you know, is that The Walking Dead is so grim, and in interviews, you're so funny. I mean, do you have any? <laughs> I put it all on the page. <laughs> hmm. uh, so, yeah, that, it, it's it's weird for me, too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I get a lot of people that uh, meet me, and they're like, wow, I expected you to be more depressed. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I I have a good life. I have healthy children and a, and a, and a friendly wife, and, uh, you know. Things seem to be going well, and, and uh, I don't know where the shit in Walking Dead comes from, to be honest. Hmm. But uh, uh, you know, are any of your other books that you do uh, are they humor? Do you do any like humor writing? Well, um, 
books I've done in the past have been, you know, have had kind of a humorous slant. My first book, Battle Dope, was uh, obviously, uh, uh, you know, comedy. But, uh, uh, you know, it, those books didn't do well, and so I stopped. Hmm. Actually, my most successful book is The Walking Dead, which is depressing as hell. So I think after having a few comedy books that fail and then having a depressing book that is kind of a hit, it kind of tells me that uh, the audience is sad. <laughs> Um, so how do you think you would fare in a, in a zombie apocalypse situation? Like, do you, would you be one of the first to die or do you think you'd do all right? Oh, I would be one of the first to die. Um, yeah, people are like, oh, but you wrote that big comic and you, you must think about how things would go. And, you know, you, you've probably got plans, right? (laughs) No, I mean, you know, I mean, I know a zombie apocalypse isn't really going to happen, but uh, even if there was any kind of like, you know, end of the world kind of thing that happened, I would be the first one jumping off a building. I mean, I love hmm. my kids. I'm trying to protect my wife and kids and stuff, but, you know, especially if they were already gone, I'd be out the door. I mean, it's just not, not something I want to live through. And, you know, I'm a big, giant sissy, and so I'm not going to be able to get through any of that stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would be the first to kill myself. See, that's depressing, right? <laughs> I was going to say, that's a good happy note to end the interview on. And that was our interview. So thanks so much to Robert Kirkman for joining us on the show. So uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk more about zombies after this word from our sponsor. New from Brilliance Audio, Kill the Dead by Richard Cadry. James Stark, a.k.a. Sandman Slim, crawled out of hell, took bloody revenge for his girlfriend's murder, and saved the world along the way. After that, what do you do for an encore? You take a lousy job tracking down monsters for money. It's a depressing gig, but it pays for your beer and cigarettes. But in L.A., things can always get worse. Like when Lucifer comes to town to supervise his movie biography and drafts Stark as his bodyguard. Sandman Slim has to swim with the human and inhuman sharks of L.A.'s underground power elite. That's before the murders start. And before he runs into the Czech porn star who isn't quite what she seems. Even before all those murdered people start coming back from the dead and join a zombie army that will change our world and Stark's forever. Death bites. Life is worse. All things considered, hell's not looking so bad. An unabridged recording of Kill the Dead by Richard Cadry. Narrated by McLeod Andrews. Available now from Brilliance Audio and wherever audiobooks are sold. And we're back. All right, so, um, uh, so the first thing we're going to be talking about is this British uh, zombie miniseries called Dead Set that John and I just watched with a couple friends. It sounded like it was going to be horrible. Uh, the, the premise is that zombies invade during the filming of uh, the, the reality show Big Brother. And so the, the people in the Big Brother house, you know, are like among the last survivors because they're in this enclosed space and they don't even realize at first that zombies have attacked. Um, so, you know, it just sounds, sounds dreadful. But uh, I think we all pretty much, uh, everyone who, who came, uh, ended up uh, enjoying it a lot. You know, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was uh, it had a lot of good zombie mayhem. You know, I mean, it uh, I think it sort of started off a little slow because it's uh, it's got a lot of the Big Brother stuff. You know, before the before the zombies uh, actually start uh, attacking. But as the as it progresses, it, it gets uh, it gets progressively more uh, like zo- zombie horrific. I mean, it's like uh, it does it, it does a lot of zombie stuff really well, and it's uh, it's really uh, it's really pretty uh, pretty gruesome and horrifying at, at certain points. But um, you know, it's, it, it hits all the right notes for zombie entertainment, I think. And uh, I mean, I was really, I was really pleased with it. I, I mean, uh, I guess my biggest complaint is is that um, we needed the subtitles, kind of, because like the British accents were like really uh, hard to understand sometimes. Yeah, no, some some of those accents were were really really strange, and uh, and they use uh, sort of unfamiliar slang and stuff too. And you know, we had uh, you know Jordan was there with us, and her dad's British, so. Uh, we were kind of like, hey, hey, Jordan, translate that for us. But even she had no idea what, what they were saying. So, yeah, we did actually have to turn the subtitles on. But actually, you know, once 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 the zombies really started killing people, we were able to turn the, the subtitles off again because, you know, at that point it doesn't make that much difference. You know, the characters are all just saying, like, oh, don't kill me, blah. Although, as you were saying, right, the, the subtitles did kind of spoil some of the surprises because it would say, like, zombie, you know, gro- <laughs> groans, you know, a second or yeah. two before the zombie actually, you know, appeared on screen. But um, I actually, I never actually, I've never actually watched Big Brother, let alone the UK Big Brother. So I don't know if there was anything I was missing. Uh, some people were saying that like you could recognize some of the the former cast members, sort of had cameo appearances. Did yeah, you... I guess the, I guess sort of the host of the show or whatever, um, it was in it too, right? I mean the the, the woman who who talked to the to the people in the house. 
she was in there too, and she turned into a zombie and gets you know gets killed at some point. So how did we end, John? How did we end up watching this? Like, because you 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 had heard it was good, right? Um, well, I heard about it a long time ago. I think when it because when it first aired in the UK, I think uh, about a year ago. And I actually, you know, the copy that we watched, I actually, you know, I got a British edition. Um, we watched on the, you know, region free DVD player uh, because, uh, you know, at the time it did, I didn't know that it was going to be ever coming over here because it didn't seem to be, uh, it didn't seem to be forthcoming. And uh, so, you know, I just, I got a copy and I, I just never, I'd never gotten around to watching it. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd heard from a variety of sources that it was very good. And um, and then so recently, you know, Dave and I, we did this uh, zombie event in, in, in New York, um, you know, for my anthology, The Living Dead 2. And one of the other contributors, uh, Bob Fingerman, he was talking about how, uh, you know, Bob Fingerman, uh, Kirkman mentioned him in the interview there. But Bob had mentioned how good Dead Set was. And he and Dave Wellington, uh, another contributor, they also they both seen it and they both were really raving about how great it was. So that just sort of reinforced reinforced the idea that, oh, you know, I should probably watch that since I bought it and everything. But um, and uh, and actually AMC actually just aired it um, on on cable the week before um, Walking Dead premiered. So uh, it was sort of like their lead in to, to Walking Dead and, and part of their like Halloween festivities. So, I mean, that's that's what that's what brought it up. Hmm. I mean, I thought it was really interesting how they made it. It was like zombies invade Big Brother. You know, it was like like really Big Brother. It wasn't like <laughs> some <laughs> some made up show. Yeah, um, I thought that was cool too. Like, I mean, I I found uh, I couldn't see an American produced you know series doing that. Like, you know, just because I don't know. It seems like anytime anyone's ever done anything like this, it's like never the actual you know property involved. And in like books too. Like I knew, like Brian Keene actually has this novel called Castaways that's about. Basically, it's about Survivor, you know, the TV show Survivor, but on the show, like, you know, there's monsters on the island or something. And so, and it goes from there. And it's, it's actually really good. And as a fan of the show Survivor, I actually really enjoyed the book because it's like, obviously Survivor. And I mean, I don't know if his publisher made him change it or if he just, you know, um, he didn't call it Survivor on purpose or whatever, but it was so thinly veiled, it didn't matter. It's like, obviously this is like the same show, but yeah, no, it was nice. It was nice and dead set to actually just have it be Big Brother and not have that facade of, of, of some other show. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you know, there's the, there's the part where, you know, um, sort of as the, the miniseries starts, one of the characters is being evicted from the house, you know, sort of like voted off the show. And, and she comes out. And so she comes out of the house and there's this huge crowd there cheering for her. And I was kind of watching that. I was like, wow, that is a lot of extras, <laughs> you know. But then I was just reading that actually what they did is that that, that was actually the audience that was there for the actual eviction on Big mm. Brother. And they just had her, you know, had her come out and they filmed that, you know, just mm. before the actual person came out. So they just took advantage of that whole set and crowd and everything. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, and, and so I thought it was it was kind of cool that this was, you know, it really did follow the George Romero formula, you know, that you have, you know, zombies attack and there's a small group of survivors and they try various things and there's sort of dissension within the group and, you know, and they, they sort of die one by one. And, you know, it was all, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't like groundbreaking or anything, but it was just all really just well done. You know, what I thought was really interesting is something that you brought up when we were watching it is, uh, you know, this takes place in the UK and, um, and so somebody shows up with a gun and you're like, where did she get a gun from? And I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe she just had the gun. And they're like, not the UK. <laughs> it's like, they can't, they don't just let everybody who, who wants a gun own a gun. That's crazy. <laughs> But I mean, one thing that kind of drives me cra- a little bit crazy about the Romero sort of formula mm-hmm. is that there's always just one really, really obnoxious person who just like refuses to see sense and just their arguments make no sense. And they're just they just yell for no reason. And I mean, I guess that that's kind of, you know, his theme is that people can't put their differences aside and deal constructively with each other, even in the most horrible circumstances where they would need to do that. But it's still, there's always like one character in all the Romero movies who you just, you just hate. I'm just, oh God, shut up. You know, and so like in Night of the Living Dead, you know, it's the guy with his daughter in the basement and, and, and so on. But, and so they did the exact same thing in this one. But in this one, it was kind of, it didn't bother me so much because I mean, the guy was just so obnoxious. This is the, the sort of um, director of the TV show, but he was obnoxious in a way that was actually really fun to watch, you know, mm-hmm. so it didn't really, it didn't really bug me. And plus it was so believable because he was like, oh, well, he's a director. He must be a dude. <laughs> Although I have to say the the part where he's stuck in the in the room with the one uh, contestant and and he has to like you know he has to like shit in the bucket it's like oh that's you know that was a bit too much I didn't need to see that it's like and that is a thing though like that I a lot of times in in movies that they just they just kind of don't you know take into yeah. account like how are people going to the bathroom in these these right. circumstances and I do sort of wonder about that sometimes like you know I always sort of wondered when you like when you watch uh, like Star Wars even when Luke Skywalker is like in his X wing you know yeah. flying from one. <laughs> 
planet yeah. to the other. I was like, is there a bathroom in that thing? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> how does that work? But uh, when, when you hear it sort of like zombies attack a reality TV set, you know, there's just like so many obvious jokes that you expect them to do and just make it really campy and dumb. And for the most part, this was just, it wasn't like that. It was very sort of very serious and dramatic. And, and I really, I was really impressed by how straight they were able to play it, given, given the sort of uh, premise that kind of invites dumb jokes. You know, there were there was stuff like somebody quotes, uh, you know, Dawn of the Dead. In Dawn of the Dead, the zombies besiege this shopping mall, and, and, and somebody wonders, like, why are they all coming here to the mall? And somebody says, oh, well, this was like their, this, you know, they come to a place that had the most meaning for them in life. It was like their church. And somebody sort of paraphrases that in this, you know, sort of making the same kind of uh, judgment about reality TV fans. And uh, the, only, the only other thing that really kind of bugged me about it was that there were a lot of instances of characters just doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. Where you know everyone's just screaming at the at the TV like, "Why are you doing this? It makes no sense. You're gonna die if you do this." I guess realistically, you know, you sort of expect ordinary people kind of to do stupid things, and especially like reality TV contestants, you you know, are probably not you know gonna be the best at surviving a, a zombie uh, invasion. But it's, it's just not that entertaining for me to watch characters dying because they did something really really stupid, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I thought in the in the Dawn of the Dead remake, it was really good how you have kind of two factions where there's the kind of like, let's stay in the mall because it's safe here faction, and the like, let's get on a boat and sail away to an island faction. Mm-hmm. And they both make reasonable arguments, and you're like, wow, I'm not really sure what they should do or what I would do in this situation. And I find that a lot more dramatic and entertaining than, you know, if one side is obviously saying what's what makes sense and, and the other side is just saying something crazy and stupid. Mm-hmm. And and so that's kind of, I didn't really like that in, in this, where, like, when the director, when he wants to leave the studio, there's just, like, no, there's no logic to it at all. It's just completely, you know, like a, a plot device to get everybody killed by zombies, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, um, speaking of the, of the annoying guy in Night of the Living Dead, that just reminded me, uh, you know, we should probably mention uh, Night of the Living Dead reanimated. Basically, they got a bunch of animators and artists um, from all over the world to collaborate and like sort of animate different parts of Night of the Living Dead. So it's like you're watching an animated version of Night of the Living Dead with the original, with all the original voice voice acting and whatnot. But um, but it's like just this this uh, blend of blend of different styles and everything. It, it's pretty interesting to watch. I mean, it's um, it's quite unusual. So I mean, it's not going to be to everyone's taste, but. You know, Dave and I actually we did um, we did a zombie event associated with that as well, um, and uh, and so like they recorded our panel. It was it was like Dave and I and um, uh, Jonathan Mayberry and um, Kim Paffenroth, and then a couple of the guys who were associated with the production. And uh, so they recorded this panel that we did that was just talking all about zombies, and, and so it's actually on the DVD as a, as a you know as an extra. So if anybody wants to see, you know, Dave and I talk more about zombies, even more so than this episode and our first episode, um, you know, there's that whole panel that you could watch on the DVD. But also you can see Night of Living Dead reanimated, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, and, and John was mentioning this, uh, the zombie panel we did, uh, you know, with, with Bob Fingerman and, and David Wellington and, and, and others uh, in New York. And, and when we were at that, uh, some people came up, you know, people in the audience came up afterward and asked if we had seen this French zombie movie mm-hmm. called The Horde. And a couple of different people mentioned it and said it was really good. And we've been trying to get our hands on a copy and have not managed to procure one. Yeah, unfortunately, um, it's just not coming out on DVD here until sometime in December. And so it's just bad, a little bit bad timing for uh, for this particular episode. So we couldn't we couldn't watch it to talk about it beforehand. But if any if anyone's listening to this in France, you know, <laughs> check that out. And uh, if anyone's seen it, you know, let us know uh, what you thought of it. We're really curious to see it. Oh, and another thing to look for too is. Uh, there's this uh, YouTube video called Chainsaw Made. It's this claymation, gloriously violent, um, you know, just sort of zombie apocalypse thing. It's, it's like less than 10 minutes long, but I mean, it's it's totally awesome. I mean, it's like so violent and it's just hilarious. And it, and it's like it must have taken them like 10 years to make it or something. But <laughs> but I mean, it's it's like so worth it. I mean, it's just like really really great. Um, and so you can just go check that out. Just Google Chainsaw Made, and and you you know you can find it. But then they also just came out with a sequel to it too. So Chainsaw Made Two is now also available. You know, actually, uh, another zombie event I did. There was a there was this thing called Zombie Fest in Pittsburgh, actually in the mall where Dawn of the Dead was filmed. Um, so that was kind of cool. But um, that was like in 2008. So I, I was there for that. They sort of had like tables stationed throughout the mall, and so um, I was sitting there. Where, I was sitting there at my table with the Living Dead, and uh, but I also had my laptop with me, and so I just uh, I just played Chainsaw Made like on the loop 
Hmm. Um, so that when people were walking by, they'd see this, you know, ridiculously violent um, claymation thing. And I mean, you can't look away. I mean, it's like it just catches your eye and you're like, oh, my God, what, what is going on here? All right. And so now uh, John and I are going to talk about The Walking Dead on AMC. And we have not talked about this at all. So who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know what John thinks we'll find out. Uh, so, yeah. So episode one, Days Gone By. John, what did you think? Oh, well, I mean, I thought it was pretty awesome. Um, you know, it, it's uh it, it was actually a little it was a little slower paced than I thought it would be, but I mean, I think uh by the end of the episode it was uh, you know, it was pretty great. Um, you know, I, I think the the casting is all pretty good. Uh it, it followed the opening of the comic book uh, pretty well from what I recall. I mean, certainly um, you know, certainly uh the you know, the protagonist Rick Grimes, he he wakes up in this hospital um after having been shot. And, uh, and so like, you know, he's been in the hospital for a while and he doesn't know, you know, he doesn't know what's happened when he wakes up and he's all by himself in this hospital. So, but, uh, I thought they did something really cool in that, in that first sequence where they see, where you see Rick in the, um, in the hospital, it's like, um, they sort of have him have this sort of fever dream of him remembering, uh, one of his friends coming to visit him in the hospital and, and he goes to answer them, but, but he was like in a coma or something the whole time. And so like he answers them, but he, he answers them like, you know, weeks or months later. And so he sees the the flowers that were, you know, that his friend brought and put on his table beside his bed. Uh, only now they're all dead and they've been long dead, you know. So I thought that was a really clever, you know, sort of visual trick just to show, you know, that all this time has passed and to convey that, you know, he has this uh, sort of sense of temporal dislocation uh, going on because he was in this coma. Yeah, I mean, do we know how much time has passed? Because that's something I've sort of wondered about, um, particularly when we get to the second episode. But no, I don't know. Um, I don't remember if it, if if we find out in the in the book. I don't remember if that's made clear. Um, in the show, it certainly doesn't seem to be clear to me anyway how how long he was in that coma. Because um, I mean, certainly the whole world has you know basically collapsed uh, since he gets out of the hospital, and his wife has already basically given him up for dead. It seems like um, it's hard to say, but I, I assume like you know weeks or months later. It's it's. Uh, yeah, there's just not enough evidence to actually, you know, come to any conclusion as to how long it actually has been. Okay, I mean, one thing I want to mention is I, I saw some criticism online. This was actually of, of the graphic novel, but people were saying, oh, they totally ripped that off from 28 Days Later, where he wakes up in the hospital, yeah. you know. <laughs> right. And uh, I, I just want to point out that, that <laughs> anyone who's, who says this should, should look up a little novel called Day of the Triffids. Right, uh, right. Because <laughs> this all goes back to that. Um, and this is a great, a great book. I mean, you should look it up anyway. Um, yeah. But it's uh, it's sort of a classic of um, sort of post-disaster fiction. In that book, uh, some number of years in the past, these mysterious things called triffids had started appearing, which are these sort of um, giant ambulatory carnivorous plants. And, um, you know, they're, they're really dangerous, but people are kind of able to keep them under control and they harvest uh, oil from them. And so our hero is a you know a guy who sort of handles triffids, and uh, as as the story opens, he's uh, been blinded in a lab accident involving triffid venom, and so he's in the hospital with bandages over his eyes, and there's some amazing meteor shower in the sky, and so everybody all over the world is just out staring at this amazing meteor shower, and then the next day, it turns out that everyone who's stared at this meteor shower has gone blind, and so our hero you know wakes up in the hospital and finds that uh, he's one of the few people who can still see, and that the triffids have broken loose and are just spreading everywhere. And it's just such a great way to kick off a, a sort of disaster story that lots of subsequent stories have, have copied that, um, and lots of people just do it as an homage, and 28 Days Later did, and The Walking Dead does too. Uh, I also really liked uh, when, when Rick finally gets to Atlanta, and, and, he, you know, and he's uh, besieged by the horde of zombies and, 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 you know, he has to scramble for his life and he ends up inside the tank and whatnot. I mean, that, that whole sequence was pretty great. I mean, you know, and they, they just tear apart the horse and. Yeah, no, that, that was great when he rides around that corner and there's just like hundreds of zombies there. Yeah. Um, although they don't seem all that slow to me. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh... no, they are, they're, they're, they're fat. They are fairly fast. Yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't know that, um, I ever got a really good idea in the comic, you know, how fast or slow they were. I got the impression that they were fairly slow. Uh -huh. um, I mean, I never thought of them as fast zombies when I was reading the comic. Um, but in the in the in the show, it, they definitely do seem to like. They're, I mean, they're not necessarily fast zombies, but they're they're at least as fast as regular people. Mm -hmm. Although in the book, in the in the comic, um, they do um, sort of decay over time, and so some of them they sort of 
they get less agile as they, you know, sort of age. I mean, it could be that that's what's happening in the show, too, is that, you know, these zombies are also still fairly fresh. And so that's why they're, you know, quite limber. The, there was the, the one thing I didn't really like in that scene was where he crawls up into the tank and then there's the soldier's body lying there. And he's just kind of like, I think I'll take this guy's gun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's not a zombie, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and it just seems, you know, and of course, the sol- you know, soldier opens his eyes and you're like, ah! But it, it, you know, it just seems like if you'd been through what he's just been through, that you would be just jumping at anything that even kind of looks like a human body, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I know, I know what you're saying, and and it's like it, it is one of those situations where you're like, come on, dude, think. <laughs> but I, I can understand how how you know the writers would think, oh well, you know, I mean, this guy, you know, he still hasn't quite grasped it yet, you know, he he still hasn't quite gotten to the point where he's going to suspect every body, you know, of being a possible zombie. I mean, it'll be. I, I would hope that as the series goes on, that the characters don't continue to make mistakes like that. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of this episode was actually where uh, they're sort of it's sort of cutting back and forth between you know Rick looking through the park for the the sort of torso of the the, the first zombie kind of he came across. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And Morgan trying to shoot the zombie of his wife with the uh, the sniper rifle. I, I don't. I found that very uh, that sequence very intense. Uh, and very uh, very powerful. Yeah, I, I guess also I kind of liked uh, how uncompromising it was in a lot of ways. With you know you know right from the beginning he blows away this little girl you know mm-hmm. and there were some there were some very uh, emphatic headshots uh, mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah, I was really surprised at how graphic it was. I mean it's like I mean it's got to be the most violent television show ever, right? I mean. I mean, that's like, that's some hardcore violence right there. I mean, like, you know, headshot after headshot. I mean, yeah, they're zombies, but still. So, so yeah, episode one. Thumbs, two thumbs up. Two th- uh. <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk more about zombies after this word from our sponsor. New from Brilliance Audio, The Zombies of Lake Wobegotten by Harrison Geeler. The town of Lake Wobegotten, Minnesota is a small town filled with ordinary, yet above-average, people, leading ordinary lives. Ordinary, that is, until the dead start coming back to life, with the intent to feast upon the living. Now this small town of above-average citizens must overcome their petty rivalries and hidden secrets in order to survive the onslaught of the dead. The Zombies of Lake Wobegotten by Harrison Geeler Narrated by Phil Giganti Available now from Brilliance Audio and wherever audiobooks are sold. And we're back. All right, so uh, episode two, what'd you think of that one? Yeah, I mean, I really liked that one too. Um, you know, I, I'd seen some uh, commentary online that seemed to indicate that it wasn't that good, but, um, you know, I, don't know, I thought it was quite good. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, I mean, I thought they did some really, uh, some really cool stuff in there. Like, I mean, at the sort of, um, toward the end of the episode, they have to figure out a way to to get away from the building that they're in and and get to these get to this truck. And so they realize the only way they're going to get there is to walk through the zombies. And and so they they talk about like, well, how do how do the zombies know that we're human? And and they discuss, well, there's noise and they seem to see and smell and whatever. And so they come up with the idea of um you know covering themselves in gore to make themselves smell like a a zombie so that the zombies won't know that they're living. And uh, so speaking of the most violent television show ever, I mean, oh, my God, I mean, <laughs> that's got to be one of the most gruesome scenes ever, certainly. Um, I mean, they, you know, they take this uh, zombie corpse from off the street and they bring it in into the building and they just like they chop it up. And, oh, I mean, it's, it's awful. I, I mean, one of the characters throws up as they're doing it. But I mean, it's like I think uh, some of the audience members might uh, get a little sick as well. But the, uh, as far as the, the rest of the episode, like, I mean, you know, it sort of brings up what you were talking about earlier with the uh, with the one unreasonable guy syndrome. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in this this episode, we have that, you know, Michael Rooker guest stars as a, you know, as a as a racist jerk. Um, you know, uh, well, let me let me rephrase uh, as a racist asshole. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so obviously, uh, you know. I mean, there's no there's no reasoning with someone like that, and he he just wants to be a dictator. And uh, um, yeah, um, no, I mean, no, well, I mean, sort of like like the reviews that you were you were mentioning. I guess I, I definitely didn't like episode two as much as I liked episode mm-hmm. one, and and sort of like that that was sort of the the beginning where I was kind of it just felt like a wrong note to me where you know they they run up and that guy's up on the roof shooting at zombies, and you're just kind of like, why is he doing that? Mm-hmm. You know, and then. 
he he gets in this this fight and it all i don't know that that felt a little contrived to me like like right mm-hmm. at the moment that rick show you know rick arrives on the roof is when this this fight breaks out and i could you know i sort of felt like i could could feel the screenwriters pulling strings on the characters you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, there there were a number of moments in this episode that I was just I, I I didn't quite buy what what the characters were doing. Like you know when Andrea pulls her gun on Rick mm-hmm. right away, I didn't really believe that she would do that in in that situation. And then you know like she has the safety on, and that that's that sort of goes back to my question about how long has it been since since the zombies uh, appeared? Because mm-hmm. if it's been you know a month or months, which is certainly what it seems to be, like she still hasn't figured out how to turn the safety off on her gun. You know, I mean. And and where she's like, you know, oh, I can't take the mermaid because, you know, that would be looting. Yeah. And, you know. There's a cop right here. Well, and like five seconds after she just said, this is like our eighth scavenging trip into the city <laughs> to, to presumably, you know, loot cans and right. stuff. I don't know. It just, it, I don't know. It didn't quite make sense to me. I don't know. It's kind of actually the, 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 the thing with the zombie smell, too. Because, I, I mean, I really liked how gross that was, you know, when they're chopping yeah. up the body and stuff. But I'm pretty sure even when I read the graphic novel, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I, if I believe that this would work. And it's, it's kind of like a funny thing to say, like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about zombies, like what, what's believable and what's not, you know, I mean, there's no zombies that we can test to see, you know, what would work and what, what wouldn't. But mm-hmm. at least sort of my, my conception of zombies is that, and what makes them so scary is that they kind of always know where you are somehow and they always show up and they always surround any place where there's living people in it. And just the idea that you can just, like, smear zombie guts on you and then walk a foot away from them and they don't know that you're there. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know, it, my sort of instinctive reaction watching watching that happen is I'm like, oh, no, I don't believe that that's what would happen, you know? Oh, I was going to say um, uh, how Shane and Lori uh, were sort of off canoodling in the woods. And I was like, I was just thinking, like, wow, they must be, like, really, really horny, I mean, to be <laughs> doing that now. I mean, you know, seriously? I mean, come on. Well, you know, it's funny because that, that kind of mirrored one of my, my things I was wondering about because if the characters have been camping out for a couple of weeks, uh, I don't know how many people, you know, have, have actually spent a couple of weeks, you know, living in the woods, uh, you know, you know, I have, uh, and you get, you get pretty tired, you know, and sort of, you know, dirty, uh, doing, doing that. And, you know, the characters in, you know, in the, the, the department store, they, they seem to have an awful lot of energy you know, for bickering and, and stuff. And I, w- I would sort of expect people who had been through what they've been through to just look a lot more sort of haunted and defeated mm-hmm. and lethargic. And Well, I think the Screen Actors Guild just forbids that. It's like uh, it's like written in the union contract. Like, you know, you can't make them look that bedraggled. Or, <laughs> you know, it's like they're actors. <laughs> they have to look beautiful, even if they're, you know, living in, in the dirt. Definitely go check out the comic. I mean, because it's totally worth it. I mean, even if even if you just want to watch the show and and you know you're not going to read ahead to see where the show's going. I mean, you know, you just you you should you should just get them and, and read them at some point, whether whether it's after the show, you know, after the first season airs or whatever. But you know, just get them and read them because they're, they're really great. And I mean, um, you know, the art is really great too. Like, I mean, I, I especially like the first trade, which was all drawn by Tony Moore, and, and he's one of my favorite comic book artists. So. Um, you know the combination of him and Kirkman was really outstanding, and I mean the the, new, the current artist too is, is is very good as well, um, uh, Charlie Adlard. I mean, like I, I mean I've said I've said this before, but I mean I haven't said it on this show, but I mean like the the Walking Dead is actually like my favorite example of zombie entertainment uh, in any medium. So I mean that, and that's kind of saying a lot, obviously. I mean since I uh, you know between all the zombie stories I've read and and all the movies I've watched and and games I've played and whatnot, um, the Walking Dead is my favorite. So. They've made enough changes from the graphic novel that they're, you know, they're, they're sort of the same story, but they're different enough from each other that I think you can, you know, enjoy them both. You know, I don't feel like since I've read the graphic novel, I, I know what's going to happen and every, you know, every twist mm-hmm. and turn is already predetermined. I mean, you know, they've, they've, they're, mixed, they're really mixing things up significantly. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, you know, actually, for, for people who are planning to pick up the comic now, um, you know, we should mention too. Um, you know, uh, Image Comics, who publishes The Walking Dead, um, is actually uh, releasing uh, the comic in in a new weekly edition now as well. So, like, if you don't want to pick up the trade paperback editions, um, you can actually just get the The Walking Dead Weekly, um, which is just going to be re uh, sort of republishing all of the issues um, until they catch up, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, you either get the trade paperbacks or you get The Walking Dead Weekly, but check it out. Um, there's also there's also some like sort of deluxe editions of the collected editions. Um, that are sort of like, you know, they're like a larger size and they come in like a, this big, pretty hardcover. 
And, uh, like, I mean, if it was me uh, just starting out now, I would probably go with those. I guess we should also mention that, you know, if you don't have AMC, well, you know, like, like I don't, you can uh, watch The Living Dead uh, through iTunes. You can buy the episodes, and it's uh, $16 for high definition and $10 for a standard definition. And uh, I guess one thing to watch out for is that they don't release the iTunes things exactly at the same time they air on TV. They seem to come out sort of early in the morning, the next morning. And so, uh, I mean, I guess usually it's not a big deal, but, uh, you know, the, like the premiere came out on Halloween. And, uh, you know, this year on Halloween, I was sitting at home chained to my computer because we had had some technical problems with uh, our last episode of the show. And I was furiously uh, editing it to try to fix it. And, and I was like, oh, well, at least I'll get to watch The Walking Dead premiere. And then it didn't show up all night. So uh, <laughs> that was a little uh, disappointing. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, other, other than that, it's, uh, you know, it's a good way to watch the show. All right. Well, that was our episode. Uh, be sure to check back in two weeks for our next episode. And uh, thanks for listening. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of io9 and is brought to you by Brilliance Audio. For this episode's show notes, to subscribe to this podcast or for more information about the show, visit io9.com slash tag slash geek's guide. To learn more about your hosts, visit johnjosephadams.com or davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by Slipgate 9 Entertainment. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening. I've never been involved in such an unprofessional <laughs> piece of garbage. What is this crap? I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Sorry, man. Uh, all right. <laughs>